0: Hello and welcome. As many of you have likely experienced in your own organizations, COVID-19 has forced sensitive conversations and critical information from on-premises, corporate-owned devices operating on corporate networks to shift to personal devices, personal networks, and public cloud infrastructure. This has forced organizations to reassess their risk controls, risk policies, and procedures. In this episode, Wade Britt, COO at Baton Global, is joined by Dave Nelson, CEO at the cyber and information security firm, Pratum, to discuss how organizations can best protect their data and technology infrastructure. Dave, I'm really excited to be talking to you today about information security services. Uh, I've got a few questions for you. We all know that COVID has changed many of the ways we work with technology. What are some of the key security challenges that you've seen during this time? Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. I think some of the big issues that people are starting to, to struggle with is just the rapid move of people from in an office environment to working from home. It brings on some additional challenges. You know, Everybody had probably some of their employees working remotely or giving them the opportunity to work from home on occasion but just the the massive scale by which we had to start moving operations not just people but a lot of our operations offsite or into a remote environment created a, a few challenges and one of them obviously is you know how do we how do we support all of these workers who aren't here anymore a lot of our information security had been built around a small portion of our workforce kind of in this remote environment now all of a sudden we're saying hey everybody's remote so What do we need to do for uh, things like uh, security awareness training even? So how do do we take people who've never really been able to work from home before and have them think about information security differently? How did we take employees who had only ever used a desktop in the office and now they're using their home computer to connect remotely? How do we get them to understand what needs to be done from a security perspective? So it really kind of changed things and it changed things rapidly. Two things that we saw kind of during this whole period and then things that we are still seeing are a heightened sense of social engineering or a heightened occurrence of social engineering. So the hackers are really coming after the people and trying to get them to click on phishing links, trying to make phone calls and get them to do things that they normally wouldn't do. They're taking advantage of the fact that process has to change. Like before, you know, if you were in the accounting department and somebody requested a very large transfer, a wire transfer, you may just turn your chair around and ask somebody, hey, did you actually authorize that? Or you'd walk down to your boss's office and ask, hey, was this something that you guys really wanted to happen? That doesn't happen now. so the hackers know that and so they're trying to take advantage of that social engineering component of of things have changed there's new processes there's suspended processes there's approvals that used to be in person and now they're over the phone or over email and so can they take advantage uh, of those new processes so one of the other things that we see is an uptick in ransomware as well a lot of organizations are finding that they're now challenged to Battle ransomware in areas where they didn 't have to do it before somebody's home computer gets locked or all of these laptops that they didn't really have really well secured uh, how are they going to protect those those systems getting access into environments that maybe they were restricted from before, but because of the process changes from working remote they 've had to open things up a little bit so we're starting to see a lot more of, of the ransomware as well so kind of those changes just kind of came on really fast a lot of organizations probably we weren't prepared for the scope or the scale with which they were gonna to have to move into those remote operations from a security perspective and they're having to really kind of play catch
0: up. Uh, thanks for that. You, you covered a, a whole lot of ground there and there's a, a couple of different things that I'd like to, to dig into a bit more deeply. You know, phishing, the the prevalence of it and the growing sophistication of it. I mean, the, the way that some of these phishing attempts have evolved from At first, being extraordinarily obvious to now actually looking pretty good and pretty clickable. Is there any advice that you would give our listeners with regards to the growing sophistication of phishing attacks?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And and you're right. Phishing is definitely getting more sophisticated. It's becoming more targeted towards organizations. So the hackers are doing their research. They're finding the right people to target. They have the right words. They have the right information about who's doing what. So they know a lot about the organization and they can craft those messages that are very specific. So the biggest way to combat phishing is to train your employees your employees have to be able to spot those nuances in those communications that just don't quite match. So maybe it's as simple as a font. Maybe it's as simple as somebody goes by David in the office professionally, but everybody calls him Dave. And so, you know, when if somebody sends you an email and it's from David and not Dave, well, that should be a key that, well, Dave usually emails me and says it's, you know, thanks Dave, not thanks David. And so it's, it's those types of things that, that you have to train the employees. You have to begin to get them to understand a little bit more of the technology, you know, being able to read a hyperlink and tell when something is not going to the place that it's purported to go to. So being able to be a little bit more tech savvy and, and being able to deal in, uh, with some of those phishing emails, being able to spot the, the nuances that, that would alert you to the fact that that's not a, an email a lot of organizations are starting to put these banners at the top that says hey this is from an outside you know resource be more you know diligent in checking before you click on anything and that's working for a while but you got to remember that as everybody becomes uh, immune to that now all of a sudden it's just you're going to see 18 different colors because this email has gone to 18 different organizations and one uses red and one uses green and one uses blue and one uses yellow and so you start to become numb to even those things as well so it's this continuing learning process. It's a you know, battle to try and stay a, a ahead of these hackers. And so really the best way to do that is improving our, our ability to have our employees be that first line of defense, have them be able to recognize when things just don't quite seem on the up and up.
0: Mm-hmm. If you see something, say something. Absolutely. Uh, I, I appreciate the targeted advice that you're sharing. It does make me reflect that perhaps we should all adopt pseudonyms or nom de plumes in the office to provide an extra layer of security, which could be an amusing process in and of itself. You've spoken a lot about behavior and education and training, and in our podcast series, we're always very sensitive to the idea that that technology is an enabler and ultimately human beings are the ones who have to, to make it work. And... What are the kind of challenges that you see with organizations who are trying to shift their culture towards being more aware of information security? Oh, man, that is uh, that's a very
1: open ended question. (laughs) I think a couple of things. One, you have. For the first time really in kind of modern history, you have four different generations of people solidly in the workforce and, and in in large numbers. <clears throat> and so you're going from kids who have never known anything but having the internet and phones and tablets, you know, in their preschools, all the way up to people who were middle-aged and older before the internet ever even came into existence. And so trying to find a way to get all four of those generations to understand uh, and value the importance of information security at the same level is a challenge. Trying to get them to understand technology as a whole, as a component of their job is a challenge. And, and not necessarily, I'm not just saying, you know, it's hard to get say baby boomers or, or Gen X to, to buy into some of this, sometimes they're very much aware of things. It's the millennials or, or the group coming behind them that is maybe a little too comfortable and a little bit too laissez-faire with you know, some privacy and, and those types of things. So this isn't just to bash one group or the other. This is to say... There's just big challenges that we have across the entire environment. When you're talking about changing culture, you're talking about people, right? And you're you're talking about how do we get them to understand at a basic level all of these different pieces and to get them to value it? I think one of the areas where companies probably don't put their best foot forward is having their own identity kind of fleshed out before they start talking to their employees. They will say something very generic, like, oh, we believe in privacy, right? Well, privacy means different things to different people. It means different things in different cultures right now today. If you go to to the EU, their version of private information is very different than what we have here in the United States. So we even have to understand as an organization first, what does privacy mean to us? What types of information are we gonna consider private? And then how are we gonna protect it? and be able to have a very good message that's unified when we go out to do training on on these things with the employees. That way, when they hear the message, they can say, okay, I understand there's no ambiguity here. Um, There's nothing that, you know, I could take one way being from one generation or from another generation and and kind of uh, hear that differently. We wanna have a very consistent message. I think that's one of the areas where a lot of companies, whether it's information security, or information privacy training, kind of miss the mark is that they don't have a very good, consistent message or a, a kind of a baseline of where do they want to be as an organization, not just based on, you know, what best practices are out there, or what regulation might be out there, but what is, what is it that defines them as a company? You know, you think about all of the other areas that we uh, do this for, we, we do it in you know, diversity and inclusion, we do it in our HR hiring, we do it in our product development in our sales methodology, and we've got very defined culture around those things of how we do those. We need that same thing on the information security and information privacy space.
0: Thank you for that. Dave. Another thing that I'd wanted to ask you a little more about based on your previous response was This abrupt shift, you know, you, you spoke about how there's always been a small pool of people that were remote in most organizations, but now this has to be applied writ large uh, across the board. Given that working from home might be here to stay. How do companies prepare for the long term implications when they've already had to make this leap. So one of the things that a lot of
1: organizations did is they looked at something, I think, back in March. And and some of the clients that we're talking to said, hey, we're going to make these decisions. It it kind of goes outside of our best practice or our policy, something we're not horribly comfortable with. But if we have to do it for 30, 60, even 90 days, we'll probably be okay with it. And uh, a lot of those organizations thought, you know, by the end of June, we'll all be back in the office and we can put that stuff behind us and then just move forward. I think what a lot of organizations are finding is this stuff is here to stay. You know, a lot of organizations, the people that went home, a lot of them aren't coming back. They're going to stay working remote. Some some of that is obviously the, the COVID stuff that's still happening. Other is, is operational efficiency. Some organizations have found, wow, this worked out really well, and it opens up an entire new employee market to us. We don't have to hire in this local employee base anymore. We can go pretty much anywhere in the U.S. and hire people. So. What they're having to do is is really reassess risk. If they have a mature information security program, they probably had a a risk assessment that they looked at all of the different risks that they had in their organization from the use of technology. They said, hey, if we've got this group of people in this department working remote, these are the risks that we have. If we've got this other group in this other department, these are the risks that we have. Here's how we're gonna mitigate those risks. Here's how we're gonna kind of reduce that to an acceptable level. In the short term they kind of threw some of that stuff out the window and said hey we'll take that because our other option is simply close down the business and we can't do that so they went took those risks for a while and now they're having to come back and say hold on a second those those things that we were not real comfortable with but willing to do for a short period of time are still in place and with every passing day that risk continues to increase so we need to reassess this. We either need to reassess what our, what our end goals are, and by that I mean really looking at is that risk tolerance, has that changed? Have we said, hey, this is just the new reality and we're gonna to tolerate that risk because that's what it's gonna to take to do business in the future? or do they need to go back and say, no, we still believe what we believed before, and so we're gonna to have to spend some additional money, time, resources to fix all of those things that we used to hold true and, and, and put some value on. We wanna apply those in this new environment so that we get to that same risk level that we were before. And I think that's the struggle because um, you've got some people that are more risk averse than others. you've got organizations where their culture is more risk averse or they're willing to take on more risk. And so anytime you go in and kind of reassess those, you had a consensus, right? You had a consensus at one point, we're opening up that can of worms again and having to have people in leadership come back together as a group and say, okay, this is where we were, this is where we are, how do we come to agreement again? Are, are we, you know, where are we going to be? And, and you've got, again, some of those uh, folks who maybe were completely on board before, but went with the flow, you know, it's going to open up some of those uh, discussions again, and they might be a little bit more forceful this time and saying, no, I'm not willing to take that risk, or absolutely, let's just take it and roll with it. So that's one of the areas where organizations are really having to struggle with. It takes time. It's a it's a painful process at times. It takes a lot of of communication. There's a lot of people involved. You got to get all of these stakeholders from HR and legal and business operations and IT and the executives and maybe even some vendors and you know those. You've got to get all those people together to kind of talk through what is our risk appetite? What what are we willing to do? What are we not willing to do? How do we solve some of the problems and challenges that we have today? And, and where are we gonna go in the future? So it's a it's not a simple, hey, let's have a meeting for an hour and, and knock this all out. I mean, some organizations, depending on the size, this could take months to try and get through some of these questions.
0: It's always that human element that that creates a bit of obstacle in in engaging with the realities that we're dealing with today. Um, I'm really interested in your discussion around risk and how people conceptualize risk so that they can address it appropriately. And in the past, companies seem to have been very focused on a very device-focused model of looking at risk, right? If you manage this particular device, you're going to be safe. How do you see that changing moving forward?
1: Well, we definitely have been in a transition period for probably about 10 years now, and different organizations have kind of jumped into this move from a device-centric security model, like you were talking about, into a data-centric security model. So in the old model, we, we had very tight controls around the data based on where you got access. So think about a corporate data center. You know, back even 10 years ago, very little stuff was in the cloud. So all of your data was very tightly controlled on servers that you owned, protected by a network that you owned, accessed by a laptop or a desktop that, that the organization owned and because of the ownership and management of those devices they could ensure the security of that data so with that device centric security model we were really focused on you know how do we build a secure configuration for a laptop how do we build a secure configuration for a server how do we how do we secure our borders on the networks with firewalls and intrusion prevention how do we do security event monitoring but very little emphasis was put on the, the security of the data itself, the files. So certainly we had things like, you know, read, write access and who can delete certain files and, and those types of things. But again, it was based on a system that accessed the data. Whereas if you could access the data independently of the system, you lose all of the security controls. So think, for instance, a Windows server or, you know, a Macintosh or a Linux server. If you're accessing the data on that server through the operating system and its controls, it controls and and you can set up role-based access controls. You can say these users can do these functions, these users can do these functions, these users can do these functions. And as long as you're accessing that data through that, that environment, the data is secure. Now all of a sudden we're saying, man, that data over the last 10 years has just, number one, exploded in the amount of data we have. And two, it's all over the place. It's on mobile devices, it's in the cloud, it's shared with 18 different vendors. Um, You've got people that have access into your network. Uh, If you're, say, in manufacturing and you've got a supply chain and you're doing real-time manufacturing, you've got transportation, you've got raw materials, you've got your manufacturing, uh, you've got your distributors, and they all are tied in. They're all using the same data, massaging the same data. So now all of a sudden we're having to shift from this device centric security model to a data centric security model saying, I now no longer have control of the devices that access my data. So how do I protect the data itself? And that's a challenge. And that is a, it's a completely different mindset. So from a security professional perspective, I have to completely rethink the way I'm going to build security to protect my data versus the way I'm going to protect my devices. So organizations are having to kind of rethink architectures. They're having to rethink the the way or the uh, comfort level that people have with with accessing data. They have to start thinking about allowing access to data from devices that they don't know you know the the BYOD the bring your own device and everybody can access anything off of their mobile device it used to be that that was only allowed for maybe email and calendar and now you've got full access into an erp you've got full access into databases patient records you name it you can get access to it from an ipad from a phone from an internet of things an iot device i mean there's just a ton of different devices that you say I've got no control over those. So I have to find ways to secure the data. So now what we're starting to say is, let's look at how we take data and say, I'm going to secure that piece of data, so that file, regardless of what device attaches to it, or what, regardless of, of what device the end user uses to access that data. So I have to start looking at things like Integrated Rights Management, or IRM, that says, I take a file, And now I'm gonna apply controls to that file that say, I I can't read it or I can't delete it unless I'm on a corporate network. Or it's encrypted and the only way you can decrypt it is if you are accessing it from a trusted device that we can validate the security of that device. So you're starting to look at ways that we, we start looking at the data itself and saying, Instead of just encrypting a drive on a server to say that that data is encrypted, we're going to encrypt each individual file so that even if somebody does hack in and grab the data, or if they access it from a device that you don't trust and and, uh, they're not a person that you trust, even if they can get into the environment and they can suck the data back out, they can't do anything with it because the individual files are, are encrypted. Obviously there's challenges. You can't encrypt databases that are live and online and and, create some other challenges there, but that's kind of the the mindset of where we need to start moving is is moving away from this device-centric model to the data-centric security model. Also, the benefit of that is when we have a large shift in architecture, like what we just did, of moving all of these people outside of the corporate network onto untrusted devices, into untrusted networks, we no longer have to worry about What's going to happen with our data because the data itself is secure. So it makes these large scale disruptions like this much easier to deal with because the data is secure and it doesn't matter who's accessing it from where we've already got the the integrated rights uh, built into the data itself and as long as we uh, can adhere to those policies on the data, then the data is safe and secure.
0: Certainly the explosion of data across all industries, the prevalence of readily available and cheap storage, you know, has, has accelerated, I, I don't want to say the problem, more so the opportunity, right? All of these industries need data and, and we talk about data as being the new oil. I'm very interested in digging in a little more with this integrated data rights. And, and how that actually works, because of course, you know, on the horizon, we've got the internet of things coming where there will be even more devices collecting and distributing customer data. And talk a little more to us about how this concept of integrated rights can can insulate people, not just from the challenges that they've had yesterday and today, but, but from these challenges that are coming in the future.
1: So the idea of integrated rights management is, it's certainly not a foolproof solution. So you're still reliant on, on some sort of infrastructure. So, so take for instance, Microsoft and their IRM and what they call file classification infrastructure or FCI. So as long as that, that piece of data is being touched by a Microsoft environment those rights would hold true. So so here would be a great example. Let's say I have integrated rights management on a file that says I can only open this file and and read it, I can't print it. Okay, so I've I've created some rights on that file and said anybody can open it, but only certain people can print it, or you can only print it if you're printing from a known device, a known corporate device. Now let's say, Wade, you grab a hold of that And you email it to somebody outside of the organization, and they're on a Linux environment. Well, as soon as that that data moves outside of a Microsoft environment, it doesn't know how to handle those those integrated rights. And and there's different levels of of what would happen there. So you could lock down that file such that if it can't contact an an IRM server, a rights management server, and, and figure out what it's supposed to do, it just stays encrypted and you can't do anything with it. Or you could allow it to, again, be opened and read, but not do anything else. Or you could say, hey, you can do anything you want. Because if you, if you don't tie that back to a, an IRM, what's going to happen is think about uh, a few years ago, Apple was dealing with some of this. If you, bought, if you bought music from the iTunes store, you could only play it on an Apple device, something that had iTunes on it, right? And so that's kind of what you would end up with is this environment where people are getting really frustrated because the the data they need to do business, they need to share it with their business partners, they need to share it with their vendors, with their uh, clients. They're gonna share it expecting it to work and now all of a sudden it's going to be, well, no, you don't have the right player. And so you can't play this file, right? And so again, it's, it's, not a, it's not a foolproof solution, but it is a solution where we can at least begin to make incremental changes to some of these things. It's going to create problems that we don't have today, but it's going to solve problems that we do have today. So there's always this, this, this constant battle in security of, you know, we want to, we want to balance confidentiality, integrity and availability, right? So a lot of times people just think about that, that confidentiality piece. I want, to, I want to restrict access. I want to lock it down. The problem they forget is I still need that data to be available, right? I can make your data really safe. I can dig a big hole. I can take all of your you know, servers. I can throw them in the hole. I can pour concrete over it, put dirt on it, and plant flowers on top. And boy, that data is safe and secure. Nobody is getting access to it. The reality is, though, some people do need access to it. We need that availability. So that's where all of this kind of has to come into play is, is how do we properly balance that confidentiality, the integrity, and the availability of the data to, to get business done but do it in a safe and secure manner? And as we're, as we're moving through this, that's, that's the rub, is, is trying to get business involved in helping to make those decisions. So when you think about, say, a like a disaster recovery plan, everybody wants everything up 24 by 7 with no downtime, right? Until they get to the point where IT tells them that's a $78 million bill to make that reality, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, you know, some of these systems we could probably do without for three or four weeks if we really had to. You're like, ah, oh, okay, so now we're really getting to the meat of it here. And that's what we have to do with the data as well, is, is saying, What's the risk if somebody gets access to this data? What's the risk if they change it? What's the risk if they print it, if they share it? And, and so how much control do we wanna put on this data and in what environment? So it's a, there's lots of questions to be asked. We have to have the business unit involved because they're the ones who own the data. They're the ones who have to put the rules in place or at least establish what the rule set is gonna be so that IT can enable that to, to support business operations.
0: And I love your response because again, it brings us back to the human questions of how do we actually take advantage of this technology and implement it in a fashion that's going to give us the value that we'd like. You know, in your experience in working with clients, you know, who needs to be involved in order to solve this problem? I mean, we we see this problem often where people want to leverage their data more, but the number of folks with really well-described data dictionaries and an understanding of the data that they have can, can often be quite, quite limited. What does that team look like at a, at a firm that wants to undertake this journey?
1: Yeah. So when we go in and do a, a security risk assessment, we typically will meet with the IT department. And then we will have them involved in all of the other conversations we have with stakeholders. So to give you a kind of an example, let's say we took one full day to do an on-site with all of the the interviews. We would spend maybe an hour or two with the IT department just understanding the lay of the land, what's the technology, how do they understand the business, those types of things. Then we talk with the executive leadership team. What are are their priorities for the business? How do they make money? How do they lose money? They've got to be able to understand the the technology component of it, at least to the point where they can say, yes, that would not impact our organization or or, no, that would create a a big problem. Then you start looking at accounting, HR, compliance, business operations and uh, legal team marketing communications. We go in and we would have an hour, you know, 30 minutes to an hour discussion at minimum with each of those individual groups. And what we do is we ask them a couple of basic questions. Number one, what is the data that you have and use? So what, what, what types of data do you have? What do you do? Okay. Where does it come from? So is it something that you get from somebody else either externally to the organization or internally from the organization? Uh, do you create it yourself? What do you do with it while you have it? Where does it go? And then what happens to it when you're done with it? And so if we can ask kind of those four or five basic questions, we start uncovering all of this information about what's important to the business. And it's great because a lot of times we'll sit there with the IT team and you'll see their eyes light up because they're like, I had no idea that that was even important to them or that they even had that data or you know, they all of a sudden you start seeing the light bulbs going off where different groups are connecting how the data that they use or manipulate or, you know, have, have access to impact somebody else. You know, they, they think they're the only ones that that use the data and somebody else says, well, no, I use this data as well for this other thing over here. And they're like, well, I had no idea. And If that's the case, we probably maybe need to make sure it's more accurate because we don't really care about the accuracy. We just take a quick look at it. And if it looks rough. Roughly right then we're good and somebody else was like well I was taking it as the gospel <laughs> so you know it's 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 getting all of those groups together to have the conversation about the data and Where's it coming from? How important is it? What, you know, how long could you live without it? Could you recreate it? Uh, Does somebody else need it? Is there a regulator involved who wants to see it? Being able to go through all of those questions, having those groups be able to communicate about that will then set priorities. I mean, it's amazing because when you start from the data, now all of a sudden, the technology that you use, the timing, the cost, all of those things start to fall in line when you say, how does the data impact my business? Instead of, how does, how does technology drive my business? I say, how does the data impact my business? Now I can start making decisions based on the data, not just simply the technology that I either currently have or want to buy. Uh, it's based on what are my business objectives? How am I gonna drive it forward? What would happen to the longevity of my business if I didn't have this data? You know, Those types of things.
0: That's that's a really interesting response. It it makes me recall the kind of technique through Sigma, but applying it very deliberately to data. And I would also imagine that with your clients, you know, working through that process through different business areas is going to go a long way towards reinforcing the cultural change that you spoke about earlier with giving people an awareness of of what they have and what they're doing with it so that the business can make uh, well- informed judgments about how to handle it. i'm I'm really interested in your opinion, and i'm I'm asking you a bit for a state of the nation here, right? Because you've described that we're moving from device centric to data-centric, and there are tools out there, and of course, nothing is is perfect, of course, everything is being developed as we speak and improved. Um, where do you feel like we are with regards to solution maturity? To support this process, as well as successful adoption.
1: So I, I like to I like to use the example of you know think about some of the other revolutions in in American business or in in, in business in general. So when you think about the industrial revolution, right, the the initial one all the way through kind of what we say is industry 4.0 now right so we're, we're we're well over 200 years into this right and so we're constantly maturing that and and we're still finding ways to uh to improve on on you know the the, the industrial process we're finding new things to do but some of those processes harken all the way back to the 1800s and we're still using some of those same basic thought processes back then think about technology uh When you if you really look at at kind of the advent of the Internet as probably the start of the boom of using technology in business today. I mean, certainly there were companies that were using it in the 80s and early 90s, but not nearly the way we use it today. We're really only 30 or 40 years into this technology revolution as far as business goes. So in the grand scheme of things, I would say we're vastly immature we still have so much to learn there's still so many things that are happening but also when you look at it and you say if you you really ascribe to moore's law where technology doubles every 18 months man we're like a couple centuries down the path already (laughs) you know so we kind of are, are in this infancy but also we're you know way 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 past our prime so it's hard to it's hard to put into words whether or not we're mature or not mature i think what's happening is we're starting to see certain things starting to take hold. When you start to look at you know, where we are from a risk perspective or a security perspective, if you read the Verizon Data Breach Investigation Report, which comes out on a yearly basis, it shows a pretty steady decline in some of the actual technology hacking. So the breaches that are reported, fewer and fewer of those are where the technology itself, the underlying technology, is being hacked. and. Part of the reason for that is technology is being designed better. Um, Our software is being designed better. Our hardware is being designed better. We have more security controls in place. Security is being baked in from the original first iteration of design and and then all the way through and then being, you know, constantly revamped. So it's getting harder to hack our technology. I think that trend will continue to, to, to move on. But if you look at the other component, now about a third of all successful breaches, according to the, the DBIR, have a social engineering component. So it kinda goes back to what we first talked about, that social engineering piece and the human piece. So one third of all of your data breaches has a human component to it. And that's, that number has just continued to escalate over the last 10 years. And it's because we're finding it's much easier to hack a human than it is to hack a computer now. Uh, It used to be I could just point and click at at a device and boy, it would just let me in and i you know, Swiss cheese. Now I got to work really hard to hack a server or a web application, but man, I can pick up a phone call and convince somebody that I'm somebody that I'm not, or I can send them a, a phishing email and get them to click on the link and give me access within a couple of minutes. So there's maturity in some areas. And then just like everything else in life, you get really good at one thing and then you find out you're not so good at something else. And so then you put some efforts into that and then you find out, hey, there's a whole new thing that I got to learn and and figure out. And so I I think we're just going to be on that constant evolutionary cycle of finding that next thing that we need to get better at. I think we are getting better. I think, you know, organizations as a whole are getting better. 12, 13 years ago, when I first started this company, I used to spend a boatload of my time on the sales side of just trying to educate people on why they wanted security, why it was important, what it would do for their business. We don't do any of that today. Now it's all specific on, well, what is this specific service or, you know, what specific challenge are you working with and and how can we help you in this area? And I think that's what you're finding across the board is security is, is becoming ingrained into what we do. It's becoming not just on the business side, but even in our personal lives, people are getting more concerned about privacy, you know, their privacy, you know, their data and, you know, who's using Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, you know, the big issues right now with TikTok and and the uh, Chinese government and, and how you know how many organizations and even individuals are saying well hey if the Chinese are spying on me through my phone I don't want my phone anymore or I don't want that application. So uh, I think there's a lot of of good things happening. We certainly have a long way to go. We are nowhere near where we need to be. And I don't know that we'll ever get there, but if we keep making incremental progress, I think that's exactly what we need to do and and what you will see or what you've seen in in other aspects of business as well.
0: Right, it's all about the journey. Dave, thank you so much for spending time with us today and helping us understand information security and especially the data centric security model a bit better. I really appreciate all your advice and guidance.